Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. We are here this time to recap round 16 of the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers. We have a few more goals to break down this time than we did on last week's show. Uh, now with just two matches to go until we settle the World Cup and playoff places, surely the drama is heating up now in Conmebol. I'm your host, Austin Miller, here in Chicago. Pleased enough with another decent Brazil performance today. Wasn't a win, but certainly they'll take a draw and long since qualified for the World Cup, so not too much to complain about. A us- our usual diverse cast of characters on the panel this week will start uh, in Arica, Chile with Adam Brandon. Adam, I hope that you're doing all right. Surely this wasn't the international window you were hoping for, but uh, I hope you're at least doing okay. Yeah, well, it's been nothing short of a disaster, really, but yeah, but all good, apart from the football. And to be fair, it could have been worse, somehow. <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute. Always good to see the uh, see the bright side of things. Simon Edwards in Medellin, Colombia, uh, saw his side get two points from this window, and, and somehow, Simon, that, that feels like a pretty good window, huh? Yeah, I mean, definitely could have been better, but, you know, some more encouraging signs today, and we're still, we're still wet near the top of the table, so... Yeah, somehow it's actually okay. So we'll see how we do next time. And our Uruguayan expert, Jesse Loesch, who refuses to be told that Uruguay is just about done and dusted to Russia. But <laughs> between you and me, they are done and dusted. Jesse, so I think you, you can can't, breathe. I, I, you can never breathe. Can't breathe until you're there. But today was um, the results were better, although the, some of the playing was not so great. But I'll take it. And our final member of this week's panel is Dan Edwards down in Buenos Aires. Dan, you're very welcome back to the World Football Index shows. Very nice to have an Argentine perspective, especially seeing as they've really become one of the storylines of this set of qualification. I hope that you're doing well. I'm doing well. I'm just still trying to figure out exactly what I saw in the last two hours because the game, I'm going to try and explain it, but it was a really, really strange one. More often than not, Comnable seems to leave us with that sort of question. Wait, what just happened? And then you try to dissect it all, and then before you know it, they're back out on the pitch and playing again. Uh, but let's get right into it. Let's start with the first match chronologically. Bolivia 1, Chile 0 in La Paz. Uh, a 59th penalty from, a 59th minute penalty, I should say, from Juan Carlos Arce. Saw the already eliminated Bolivians pick up three points against Chile and send Chile to a winless, goalless international window. Adam, as you said, it could have been worse, but it could not have been much worse for Chile. Definitely not the window that Pizzi and his men were looking for here. Well, I think that's a bit of an understatement, really. Aside from Peru beating Ecuador, though, pretty much all the other results went for Chile tonight. So they still have a chance of of claiming fifth spot. They probably need favours um, on the last day. Probably one from either Colombia, Peru, Peru or Ecuador, depending on how the next match day pans out. It's been a very disappointing week for Chile. Um, I just can't really believe how much the level of performance has dropped from what we saw towards the end of the Confederations Cup to what we're seeing in, in this last week. It is really unbelievable. I think... We've, we've seen too many players underperforming and key players as well. Um, Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal in, in these last two games. Paraguay the other night and, and Bolivia today. Really poor, both of them. They were more of a hindrance than anything else, really. Especially Sanchez, who today 
I'd never seen him play that badly. Pretty much every decision he made was wrong throughout the 90 minutes. He was too selfish a lot of the time. And when he did decide to pass, it was either a wrong pass or, or, or a bad one. Too many players underperforming. Not enough talent coming through as well has been a big issue with this Chile side. There hasn't really been the opportunity to freshen the team up. It does look an ageing side. That is something that you know many commentators predicted would happen. I thought this Chile side would just have enough in them to get over the line uh, and, and put in a decent performance next year in Russia. But as things stand at the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm very pessimistic about Chile's chances to qualify now. And it does look like the people who said that this was a bridge too far for this uh, ageing Chile side then. Yeah, it looks like they're probably correct on that. Into this game against Bolivia, Chile actually survived a few early scares. And at that point, you're wondering, yeah, maybe, maybe it looks like things might suddenly be going for them. Martins missed an open goal for Bolivia early on when Bravo failed to deal with a corner. There was one or two other Bolivia chances as well, which sort of flashed past the post. But then came Chile's best spell of the game, sort of in the second period of the first half. And in that period, Vidal missed an open goal too. Um, so it could have quite easily easily been, you know, 1-0 either way, heading into half-time or even 1-1. But yeah, at half-time, I was, I was kind of optimistic because I thought Chile had finished the half the strongest. But what we saw in the second half was, again, a massive drop in the level of performances again. And Bolivia ran out deserved winners in the end. Their, their goal coming courtesy of a, of a penalty on around the hour mark, as you mentioned, Austin. Diaz, the culprit, again there with, with a handball. The, uh, Marcelo Diaz, of course, being the player who gave away the goal to Germany in the, in the Confederations Cup final as well. So he's not the most popular man at the moment in Chile. Yeah, and despite the hope that maybe Bravo would come to rescue again on that penalty, you know, of course he saved three in the penalty shoot against Portugal um, in the Confederations Cup. He couldn't save this one. It was an excellent penalty from Arce. But yeah, I think now it's what over 500 minutes, I think, Chile have gone without scoring in a competitive match. It's, it's very worrying. If they beat Ecuador in the, in the next match day, yeah, and to do that, they're going to have to score, which... They just don't look like doing at the moment. But if they did manage to beat Ecuador, then I still think they probably need at least a draw in Brazil. I, I think a draw would probably do it. But yeah, they, they would have to get very lucky if just three points against Ecuador is going to be enough, it, despite all these results going for them tonight. Adam, before the last set of matches on on Thursday, Chile got the cast decision that, that ended up going in their favor and they, they kept those two points that they, they got off of Bolivia uh, from early on in this qualification cycle. Do you think that that decision had any sort of impact on the way Bolivia approached today's match? Because it, it must be said, Bolivia looked motivated, Bolivia looked focused, and they looked like they wanted to get all three points against Chile. Do you think that decision was any of the reason behind that? Or do you think Bolivia just wanted to show well in front of their home crowd? Well, Bolivia hate Chile. So they don't really need much extra motivation to beat them. But if they did, then this gave them the perfect chance. No? Like they felt very hard done by. They nearly got a point against Peru the other night. And yeah, they've taken all three points against Chile today. What I will say, and I was looking at this earlier. So the madness of this World Cup qualifying series... 
can probably be best summed up with the fact that Chile would arguably be in a better position to qualify if that cast decision didn't go their way. Because right now they would be sitting in fifth um, ahead of Peru on goal difference and Argentina would be in fourth. So it's, it's an odd one, to say the least. Still time to maybe file another appeal and say, no, 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 no. And we, we, don't <laughs> yeah. want, we don't want to take them back. I'm wondering, take Peru too. I'm wondering, it, <laughs> I'm wondering if, it, if it stays like this, then they'll say, no, 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 we withdraw <laughs> the complaint. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, as you said, it basically sums up where we're at in Conmobile World Cup qualifying at this point, that Chile could somehow be better off with fewer points if it also meant that Peru didn't keep their points. The, the only other thing, I want to add, Austin, again, going back to Sanchez, and and I, and I didn't really touch on this enough on, on the pod we did the other night, and that and that's about this transfer from Arsenal to Manchester City apparently being cancelled at the last minute. It does seem like it has really affected him in these last few days. I, d- I just find that amazing, really. I, I just didn't have Sanchez down as that kind of player who would sulk in that sort of circumstance, especially when so much is on on the line for his country. But to be fair to this generation of players, you know, they've given this country, you know, some amazing times. Those two um, Copper America victories, you know, will never be forgotten. And if this is the end for this generation, then I think it's a little sad that they've bowed out so meekly. But overall, been an amazing decade. But let's see, maybe they have something still left in the tank. Dan, for you, Adam is operating under the assumption that Chile probably need four points from these final two matches, home against Ecuador and then away in Sao Paulo against Brazil. Would you agree with that assessment that 27 points is probably the number that it'll take to get into that fifth place spot? It's probably the benchmark, yeah. You think that Argentina, at least if they beat Peru, they've almost got that that fifth spot, right? And depending on, you know, obviously what happens with Ecuador and the last game, but there's a few games there which are going to cancel each other out. From Argentina's point of view, beating Peru is just non-negotiable, really, especially after what we've seen today. If they beat Venezuela, you'd say, um, you know, you probably still need to beat Peru, but you could get away with a draw. But now no, that's basically the game on, on which this whole qualifying campaign is going to hinge on. And from, you know, I didn't see Peru today, but from the results I've been getting recently, you, you wouldn't say... That's assured, at least, in any in any sense. At this point, we're getting to the point where nothing, and, and literally absolutely nothing, except maybe Bolivia at home, <laughs> is assured in this qualifying cycle. Simon, for you, 27 points, the number that Chile probably need to get to. Uh, home against Ecuador, away against Brazil, do you think they can do it? Yeah, it's going to be tricky. I mean, I... Adam's particularly pessimistic right now. Um, I kind of understand and under, that. And yeah, and understandably results. so. You, you can't blame him for that. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. But there's a month to go. Chile have won the Copa America very recently. They've still got a strong squad. Alexis comes back in better form. Uh, he's still at Arsenal, which isn't necessarily his ideal situation. Um, but he comes back in better form. Chile returns to their best. They get six points and they could be there. There you go, Adam. Do you feel better? How's that? No, I think they've got a chance. Yeah. They've, got a good, they've got a good squad. It's two winnable games. Why not? There was a, sorry, there was also a little bit of confusion tonight. Um, and I'll try and find out for 100% sure before the end of the pod whether Alexis Sanchez is suspended or not for the match against Ecuador. During the commentary tonight in that 
Argentina Venezuela game, mate. They changed their mind like three times during it, whether he was suspended or not. So, yeah, I'll try and confirm that by the end of the pub. And it must be said, too, that 26 points, I don't think Chile would be feeling very good about. But it's not out of the realm of possibility um, that 26 points could just end up being enough, especially if Chile can get an extra goal or two in a match against Ecuador. So anything is still on the table, though. I think it's, it's fair to say that, that Chile are feeling fairly concerned at this point, especially given the fact that they had what appeared to be a, a fairly easy set of fixtures this window and failed to come away with not just a single point, but also not a single goal. And with that, we'll move on to the second match of the night, which saw Brazil and Colombia tie at one in Barranquilla. Uh, Willian opened the scoring for Brazil right before halftime after what had been a fairly poor first half um, from Chicha's side. And then at the start of the second, in the second half, uh, Ramadel Falcao scored for Colombia and it finished 1-1 between these two teams. Simon, two points this window for Colombia. Certainly, had things maybe gone right for them, they could have both feet or maybe a foot and a half in Russia at this point. But with what else happened in the table, Colombia are still should be feeling fairly good about themselves at this point, no? Yeah, I mean, I think after the performance and the result against Venezuela, which was particularly flat, uh, people had very low expectations. And I think people were very pleased to see Colombia back to playing some good football. I, I mentioned, I think in the first 10 minutes, they probably made more passes than the full 90 against Venezuela, uh, in particular in the middle of the field. Um, so it was just nice to see Colombia playing again. I think the fear of Venezuela is, is, you know, overwhelming for Colombia. They, they just don't expect to win in Venezuela and they'll take whatever they get. Whereas I think they should have really gone out to that game with a bit more, you know, looking to assert themselves a little bit more. So tonight to see Colombia, early on passing it well. Brazil weren't particularly at it in the first half, but fairly flat to begin with, um, which is why it's a frustration that Colombia couldn't score. And then uh, the goal came out of nowhere um, for Brazil, which was a little bit disappointing. They had a couple of chances. Neymar broke down the left once or twice. But I think Colombia should have uh, should have gone in at halftime ahead if, if, uh, if things had gone their way. Uh, then a, a dog turned up on that pitch. And, you know, that dog has got three and a half thousand followers on Twitter already, which uh, which is a bit disappointing. For Does me. that make you uh, jealous? Yeah, a little bit. That Perito dog is a little que... bit less polarizing than you, though, I have to say. Perrito que... que se metió is on Twitter. You can follow him. They've got pictures of him before, the, before his entrance to the field. They've got pictures of him in the interview section of the stadium. He's been all, he's been all over the place. I, I need so... to ask the important question. Does that dog get a home? Uh, I, I don't know. It looks like he was just sitting in the stands. With I know. So I need to make sure he's okay and that somebody is like going to, you know, take him home and, and take care of him. I think he's the biggest celebrity in Colombia at the moment. So I'm yeah, sure that he'll... doesn't mean that he's like, maybe Falcao needs to take him and he'll be. Yeah. Well, get a reality show or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So as soon as the dog left the field, uh, Colombia conceded a few seconds later. So, the commentators are going, oh, I hope they don't get distracted by this. And then straight away they score. But it was an excellent goal. And it was a lot of a pass through to Neymar. He touched it back. And uh, Willian sliced one perfectly into the top corner. So Colombia went uh, in at halftime, 1-0 down. At halftime, they changed uh, Cuadrado for Jimmy Chara, which is kind of a strange decision to some extent. Um, Cuadrado was doing fairly well. Jimmy Chara is a little bit one-dimensional. One um, but Colombia... 
continued to play well. They they grew into the game. James was a big plus for Colombia. Uh, Cardona wasn't quite at his best, but he was much better than he was against Venezuela. Uh, Falcao was dangerous in the box, and yeah, eventually, uh, with some nice work down the down the wing, James flicked a little ball down the line. Santiago Arias whipped a ball in, and and Falcao scored a typical Falcao powered header, and uh, yeah, one all. So. At the end of the day, Brazil came back into it towards the end. Um, they took off uh, Cardona and brought on Teofilo Gutierrez. I don't really think that worked too well. I would like to have seen Giovanni Moreno. But end of the day, one all, a decent result for Colombia against a kind of unstoppable-looking Brazil. Brazil won at their best, so Colombia a little bit disappointed not to have got three points in this one. But it leaves Colombia in third position. Everything's still in their hands. They've got uh, Paraguay at home next, and hopefully with a result there, a win at home against Paraguay. Then uh, going to Russia off with off with Jesse. I'll save you a seat next to me. Except don't say it. We're not. We don't know yet. <laughs> From a Brazilian point of view for this match, I think you kind of hit it spot on. Brazil certainly weren't at their best. Um, manager Cheech made a few changes from the squad that beat Ecuador two 0 Fernandinho came into the defensive midfield in place of Cochino or not Cochino, sorry, <clears throat> Casemiro. Cochino came on as a substitute later. And I think Brazil struggled a bit because of that. I think what it has kind of highlighted is that Casemiro is, is so brilliantly poised to play that role that Cheech loves in the 4-1-4-1, that one that sits in front of the line and is just a, a real destroyer. So that is Casemiro's spot all but locked up. Fernandinho will probably be his backup, but in an ideal scenario, Casemiro is, is starting in that role and is not coming off the pitch at any point while Brazil's in Russia. The other change was uh, Roberto Firmino. The Liverpool attacker came on in place of Gabriel Jesus. Firmino doesn't fit all that well with this Brazil squad. Um, he and Neymar have, have kind of struggled to play together. And I think that was on display tonight for Brazil. Once Gabriel Jesus came on and once Felipe Coutinho came on, I thought Brazil were a bit better in this match, despite the fact that they didn't score a goal with those two players on the pitch. I thought overall their level of play rose. And uh, again, I think at this point, Brazil's 11 is pretty much defined. Um, Alisson and goal still leaves question marks for me, but he doesn't leave question marks for Cheech. And so I would think that he will probably start in goal in Russia. The back four of, of Danny Alves... Marquinhos, Miranda, and Marcelo. That's the Brazil back four with Felipe Luiz. Quite unfortunate that he happens to be Brazilian because he's a fantastically talented left back, but just kind of gets blocked out of the squad because Marcelo is quite good as well. Casemiro will sit in front of those four. And then I think the midfield will be Renato Augusto, Paulinho, of course, Neymar. And then maybe the one spot that's still up for grabs is between William and Coutinho. So the way that Coutinho has played in both of these matches suggests that he might win that out with Gabriel Jesus up top. So that is probably the 11 for Brazil. And, and what's left to be decided is what comes behind those 11, who fills the, the other roster spots. Center back is probably closed down. The whole defense really is probably closed down. But some roles in the midfield, maybe another attacker and, and the backup goalkeepers could still be up for grabs. And I expect to see Cheech try to fill those roles with these next two qualifiers for Brazil. They'll go away to La Paz. At this point, with Brazil so far ahead in the table, I don't believe there's any reason for any of Brazil's regulars to make that trip. I don't think there's any benefit. I don't think there's any gain. So I would love to see squad players, um, rotation players, some domestic-based players, basically the guys who are competing to be 14 to 23 and on the plane to Russia. I'd like to see them go to Bolivia 
and see what they could do. And then that home match against Chile, knowing Cheech, I would think that he'll probably call the majority of the Europe-based players. But personally, I would not be opposed to seeing a lot of those guys stay home to see Neymar get October off, to see really that whole back line get October off. I just don't know that there's any real need for them to play those matches for Brazil and they can focus in November and March and then before the World Cup on, on finishing the preparations. But use those matches to fill out the rest of the squad so that you're not wasting valuable friendlies against top European composition, figuring out if you want Rodriguinho to be your 21st player or not. Uh, I think that Cheech can use these comparable qualifiers to do that. And that's what I'd like to see. So again, not the best Brazil have looked, but certainly a fine result for them and, and a decent performance. And really, they've been far and away the best team in these qualifiers. And, and the results show that. Yeah, and no, I think I definitely agree. Uh, I mean, with Brazil, there was a notable difference in the intensity of the midfield about Casemiro in there compared to what Colombia faced against uh, Venezuela, when there was high intensity, uh, Herrera uh, and so forth. Uh, definitely Colombia felt like they had more space in the midfield and maybe that's just Brazil taking their foot off the pedal. Maybe it's to do with selection. But I also think as well that Colombia having Aguila in there in the midfield and he's not a player I rate massively but at least he can pass the ball. Whereas the previous week they had uh, Barrios and Sanchez. Again, two excellent ball winners but neither of them particularly creative or, or exceptional at passing. So I think that made a big difference in the game. The other final thing for Colombia was Davinson Sanchez finally performed closer to his uh, his Ajax level uh, and looked very good for Colombia in defence with Zapata, kind of a big step up from Morillo, who played against uh, Venezuela. So uh, with Jerimina still out, it looks like Damison Sanchez might have secured his position in the Colombian defence for the two final games, uh, which will be key. And uh, yeah, as I say, if we get a result against Paraguay, looks like we could be on our way. So we have to see. We'll move on next to Quito, where Peru were 2-1 winners against Ecuador. And Peru probably leave this window as the biggest winners. They won six points. They won 2-1 at home against Bolivia on Thursday. And then followed that up with a huge 2-1 win against Ecuador. A pair of goals separated by four minutes. First from Flores, then from Hurtado. It looked like Peru were home and dry at that point. Ecuador got one back quickly after. And our Valencia scoring on a penalty that left Peru with just 10 players. A hectic push to the ends, but Ecuador weren't able to find the equalizer. And Adam, for Peru, they now find themselves in fourth place in the table, which as of now is a direct spot into Russia, and with a chance to have it all in front of them going forward. Difficult matches, for sure, away to Argentina, home against Colombia, but it's looking like Peru might be able to secure a top five finish with just three points from those two matches. Yeah, I I think that's a good shout, Austin. I only saw the last 30 minutes of this game because I was obviously concentrating on the Chile match. But from what I've read and, and what I've seen in the highlights as well from the first half, it, it, it looked to me that Peru played this game really intelligently. And I have to say that the two goals they scored were beautifully worked. And you've got to give massive credit to their manager, Ricardo Gareca, who's, you know, since, since taking over as Peru manager, has, you know, slowly but surely built a really fantastic team. And this is their third win in a row now. They're more likely than not to make it to Russia, which is incredible, When, especially when you think if that cast decision last week had gone against them, then I think most people would have said they have absolutely no chance of making it whatsoever. But it seemed like that decision gave them a huge boost going into this match day. 
and and they've really built on that win they got against um, Uruguay before, um, back in March, I think it was. And yeah, I think I think they're going to do it. That last home game they've got against against Colombia, I, I've got a feeling that Colombia will probably beat Paraguay, which will mean that you know Colombia will will head to Lima with not too much to play for. I, I suspect that they'll be pretty much qualified by then, and see it will give Peru the perfect chance to to get all three points. And then the only thing which could possibly deny them then is, of course, Chile winning in Brazil. But I don't see I don't see that happening. So yeah. Uh, looking good. And it must be said as well, away to Argentina certainly isn't the task that we might once have thought it was. Uh, we've seen Argentina struggle yeah. at home in these qualifiers. And so there's no reason that Peru can't go and get a point or even maybe three from that match. Well, yeah, you know, we come on to Argentina in a bit. And yeah, you make, you make a good point there, Austin. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they're definitely capable of even getting something in Argentina. And um and then it would be maybe Argentina that Chile are looking to to push out um, from the Chilean perspective. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's, there's still there's still a lot to play for. But about six months ago, I don't think any Peruvian would have dreamt that they would be in this position. Now they've kind of got a different situation to deal with because it's almost like suddenly the pressure's on a little bit. You know, like I say, they're, they're tipped to make it now. They're more likely than not to make it. So it's about whether or not they deal with the pressure and the expectation which is suddenly upon them. And Adam, for Ecuador, this kind of completes the absolute freefall we've seen from them. They won their first four qualifiers. They were on 12 points, top of the table, four matches in. And in the 12 matches since then, they've only picked up eight points. They're now on 20 points, four points out of fifth place with an away match to Chile to come and then one final home match to finish it off against Argentina, it looks like Ecuador are done. And it's it's really shocking how far they've fallen and how quickly they've fallen, given the way that they started this cycle. I think we started these pods, actually, maybe when they were top. So they had one four out of four. I think the first pod came after their full victory. And I remember us talking then about that no team had ever won their first four matches and then failed to to qualify but with a pathetic form Chile are in at the moment yeah I I wouldn't put it past Ecuador perhaps winning in Santiago and then they would need a win against Argentina at home to qualify I don't think that will happen mainly because I think Quinteros their manager there was warning signs there probably as as far back as about 18 months ago I remember saying on on these podcasts, I think Ecuador need a change of coach. Quinteros has seemed to have lost the plot. There was lots of strange squad decisions, and I know that Javier would back me up on this, and I think he mentioned it the other night as well. I think it's not a great surprise that that they've dropped out of contention by the looks of it. To kind of accentuate those decisions. We finally saw Juan Cazares start for Ecuador today. It, it didn't really work out for him, which is a shame given the form that he's been on in Brazil. Um, Bangueda, the Ecuador goalkeeper, I thought was very good against Brazil, uh, but I think he could probably be held a little bit at fault for the pair of goals from Peru. I think you would have liked to see a little bit more out of your goalkeeper on those. And, and that was the difference between Ecuador getting a point here and, and finishing with nothing. And, and as Adam said, looking like really long shots to have a chance. Now they have to 
they have to win their final two matches to really have any hope of making the World Cup. And, and that's certainly not going to be an easy proposition. Simon, what have you made of this kind of Ecuador freefall that we've seen? They just haven't been able to get a, a grip on anything. Um, it, it just keeps slipping through their hands, it would seem. Um, I thought this might be the game where they where they turn it around. The pace and the the physicality of Ecuador might be too much for for Peru. Peru uh, a good technical side, but um, Ecuador may be able to bully them to some extent. But Peru again showed their quality, showed that they have the momentum, and it is clear that really does have a big impact on these on these uh, qualifiers. Despite there being a big break between games, you can definitely see the mood uh, when Ecuador were winning was very different to how it is now. Uh, the confidence. In the team, everything seems to be falling for them when they were on the on the at the top of the table, and and now uh, nothing seems to be going their way. So yeah, you know it's it's somewhat surprising. I thought Ecuador might be the kind of team that could uh, could could get the you know the could get the win over Peru. I thought Peru might be the opponents uh, for Ecuador to to finally end that kind of poor form, but it looks like they're only going one way. They've got a couple of tricky games remaining, Chile. I think we'll be favourites, despite some disappointing results recently. I think Chile at home should be favourites for that game. Uh, and then final game against Argentina, and it looks like that might be really important for Argentina as well. So I think it'll be tricky for Ecuador, uh, to, despite their good start, to make it to the World Cup. Now four losses from four for Ecuador, and, and it's really been the end of their hopes for Russia, barring uh, two really good performances in their final two matches. But we'll move on to the events in Buenos Aires tonight. Argentina won, Venezuela won. Another man-of-the-match performance from World Football Index favorite Wilcar Fariñez, who made a whole host of saves tonight after his impressive performance against Colombia last week. Venezuela scored first here with a well-worked counterattack ending in Murillo scoring. Argentina struck back straight away. Uh, it looked like this ended up going down as an own goal. Didn't really matter for some Paulis men how it got in the back of the net, just that it did. Uh, but from there, Argentina were unable to go on and find a winner. So a 1-1 result leaves them with two points from this window in the first two competitive matches under Sampaoli. Argentina in fifth place in the Conmebol table, um, behind on goals scored to Peru. The goal differential between those two sides is equal at plus one, but Peru have scored 26 goals. Argentina have scored just 16, so that has the Peruvians in front. Argentina one point clear of Chile in sixth. Dan, what did you make of this window for Argentina? Is two points a success? Is it a failure? Is it somewhere in between? It's a failure. There's, there's really no other way to say it. It's a failure. They needed at least four points from the two games. It could have even you know, been six, if not for Chile coming through and really doing their, their beloved neighbors a hand in the two games. But yeah, it's a failure. I think the stat that really stands out for me, I, you know, not just over these last two two games where not a single Argentine player out of Messi, Icardi, Dybala, Di Maria, Pastore, all these guys failed to score. It was an own goal from Felcher, I believe, that went down in the end. But in the whole tournament, they scored 16 goals, which is the worst goal-scoring record out of any of the 10 teams. Worse than... Uh, sorry, second worst behind uh, in front of Bolivia. So worse than Venezuela, worse than Paraguay, worse than, than everyone. And if you think that if you've got a team like Argentina and you're only scoring a goal a game, there's really no other way to go about it. You're in trouble, especially since we all know that Argentina 
on a team that are known, you know, ah, they don't score many goals, but they also don't concede many goals. We saw today when when Venezuela took the lead, it was for a complete breakdown in defence. Um, I think it was Banega who gave the ball away very cheaply in about half midway in, into the Venezuelan half. And from there, they were just ripped apart. Uh, they got lucky thanks to, to one of my boys, uh, Marcos Acuna, a racing, a racing old boy who's, who's kind of broken into the team in spite of everything, you know, not being one of these kind of marquee players with a big name in Europe. But he came in for Di Maria and had a, a pretty decent game, like at least put the cross in that, that forced the own goal. But you're going to hear a lot in the Argentine press now about, you know, Sampaoli because everyone loves to exaggerate, you know, Sampaoli, his project's still all going wrong, his plans are all going wrong. To be honest, I wish it was that. The problem with Argentina, as I see it, is that whether it's Bausa or Martino or Sampaoli in charge, there's just, there's no kind of tactical coherence in the team. They started well against against Venezuela, the first 20 minutes at least. They should have been probably 3-0 up. And that was because they were sticking to what Sampaoli wanted. Um, kind of, You had the case where Machirano and Otamendi were basically playing as centre midfielders and everyone else was in front of them. It was all-out attack, but it was kind of controlled. It was measured. It was more or less intelligent. But you saw as soon as Venezuela kind of got comfortable and thought, no, oh, we, can, we can deal with these guys. That's when everything just fell apart. The team, you know, lost its shape. It lost its intelligence. Uh, it was basically down to this old phenomenon of, all right, we'll give the ball to Messi, run around like headless chickens, and hopefully he'll find one of us. He did that a couple of times. He managed to find a player in the box, but still the, the goals didn't come in. I think Pastore had a great chance right at the end to, um, to wrap it up. But even though, you know, all the statistics are going to say that Argentina dominated, you can't say that they really deserve to win, even against a Venezuela team that's already bottom of the, the World Cup qualifying standings. And also, you know, they've drafted in about, I think five or six from the under 20 squad, you know, they've given up on this one altogether and they're just looking to improve um, to, for 2022. Uh, have to give a lot of credit to Farinas. He was excellent, but still it's two points lost for Argentina. And if they don't improve really fast to, to play Peru, uh, they're going to be two points that they're, they're really going to, they're really going to regret. What would you make of, of their odds to qualify directly at this point and their odds to advance to that playoff where one would think that they would probably be heavily favored against New Zealand? Argentina have Peru at home and then a trip to Ecuador, which, as we were talking pre-pod, could end up being an Ecuador team that lacks motivation, having already been eliminated from the World Cup. Even with these poor performances, even with how frankly bad Argentina have looked at points in this qualifier is the prevailing feeling that ah it's Argentina they'll still get it together right at the end well since this is Argentina everyone's just gone into a blind panic and pretty much predicting the apocalypse in the in the aftermath of this game looking more at the the two qualifiers to come you'd say that you probably look at them a little bit differently than you would have probably even at the start of this international window where you would have said Probably the Ecuador one is the is the game you don't want to be deciding your World Cup chances on, and 
against Peru at home is you know a nailed on victory. Now it's Peru who uh, who had a fantastic um, couple of games here that are the team you get you have to watch out for. And Ecuador, you might say, uh, oh, you know they might go to the you might they might get to that last game already eliminated and it might not be as scary as otherwise you would have thought in the in the altitude at Quito. Which basically goes to show that in these common level championships, absolutely anything can happen. I still think Argentina should, I say should, underlining it, make at least a playoffs. And they should be looking to do even better to get automatic qualification. But the bottom line is that San Paoli won't see his players again until they come back to Argentina in October. He's a very little time to kind of implant his ideas and implant what he wants to do with this team is a team that are kind of demoralized you know it's it can be overstated but uh, they've got no relationship here with the press like they feel like they're under siege once they come back to argentina the atmosphere around the team isn't isn't particularly um positive and i don't know that game against peru it could spring some surprises well i guess we'll just have to see in october but it's, time's running out, definitely. Jesse, for you, what do you make of where Argentina is now and where do you think they'll end up? Again, the prevailing feeling from where I'm looking at it, especially outside Argentina, which is where I find it so fascinating to hear what Dan's saying, because the prevailing feeling coming from European media, from American media, seems to be, yeah, but it's Argentina. And you list off the players, you list off the talent. Messi, Dybala, Icardi. You know, Mascherano's still there, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, they'll still get it all together. And I think there are actually some interesting parallels to Mexico's 2014 uh, World Cup qualification campaign, which was completely disastrous and still saw them end up making the World Cup. So for you, Jesse, where do you see this Argentina team going against Peru and against Ecuador? You tend to think that way in South America, too, not for the same reasons, though, not because of the individual players that they have, but because they're Argentina. Um, you know, again, I think that, and Dan, you could disagree with me here, but, you know, most people in Uruguay have a host of Argentinian cousins. And the majority of my Argentinian cousins are not huge fans of Messi on the national team. And yet they all are sort of insisting that in some way or another, this team needs to qualify that, you know, Argentina goes to the World Cup. That's what they do. And they go back to the time when Brazil tied on purpose so that Argentina went because, you know, it's 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 nationalism. It's it's just pride. I think that, you know, I would be shocked if I don't think it's happened in my lifetime that Argentina has not gone to the to the World Cup. I think that, you know, right now, like we said before, a lot is going to to be decided on goal differential. And right now they're even with Peru. But I think that you know, Argentina play at Ecuador and that is a different, you know, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I wish I had answers to this one, but it's so up in the air and, and I have no idea. I, my sort of Uruguayan take on this is of course, Argentina is going to go because Argentina go to the world cup. And I, that's a, an irrational thing that it illustrates kind of the absurdity of it all that Argentina are in this position you know this is Argentina this is a world football power as Jesse said Argentina goes to the World Cup there's really no questions about it yet here they are in a position where 
it's not out of the realm of possibility that they missed the World Cup entirely. How did it get to this point for Argentina? I'd like to add that there's definitely at least one Argentine company that are hoping Argentina make it to the finals, and that's um, a TV company called Noblex, who offered uh, full refunds and all the TVs they sold from August if Argentina failed to make it. So (laughs) So if they don't make it, but... I guess that kind of shows that, you know, just how confident people are. You know, a, a World Cup without Argentina is, is almost unthinkable, especially for people kind of our age. Our age the, the last time they missed out was all the way back in 1970, uh, where they failed to qualify. Thanks for a home game against uh, Peru, perhaps only coincidentally. Yeah, a bit of an omen there, no, Ben? I was about to yeah. mention and the funny thing is, like, there's there's been talk just now after the game of they're wanting to um, to move that game to the Bombonera Boca Stadium. But that was the same stadium where they drew against Peru and missed out on in 1970. So it feels like they're playing with fate a little bit. It's hard to you know it's hard to pin down what exactly has gone wrong because you know we're talking about a period of time now that's coming on to two years, and a lot of lots happened in those two years. You know we've obviously gone through three coaches to start with, all of whom have brought kind of different things to the table, Martino, Bausa, now Sampaoli. You had Messi injured for, I think, at least six or seven of the games, which obviously didn't help because at least until this window, uh, Messi's uh, Argentina's record with Messi was impeccable, but without him it was atrocious. Now it's sort of levelled out a bit. And yeah, just under underperforming across the board I think I think maybe Argentina have some similar issues to Chile that yeah but they've had a period of a a golden generation though come through and I think they've found it difficult to replace some of the key players um, with kind of fresh talent which is kind of up to the job that's a very good point the bulk of this current team still built on the on the side that won the under 20 World Cup back in 2007 Talking about Messi, Aguero, Di Maria. You'd say the moment uh, to start the renovation should should have come in 2015. Uh, that was kind of the natural break, I think, after missing out on that Copa America against Chile. And then just starting to, you know, blood new players in time for, to, you know, for a proper run in the qualifiers. It didn't happen uh, with Martino. It didn't happen with Balsa. It started to happen with Sampaoli. But now you're in... The situation where you've got quite a lot of players in the squad who've only got five or five or six caps under their belt, um, like Icardi, for instance, who is a quality centre forward, but uh, today it was only his his third game in Argentina colours. So we've gone from a situation where you had a lot of experience but no freshness in the team, kind of no hunger, to one where you got a lot of players who just need to jump straight in and and perform with with all the odds and all the pressure against them. For me, with uh, watching the last couple of Argentinian games, I do think with the with the personnel and the setup, I do think there's a lot of vulnerability there as well. Um, Venezuela had a lot of chances towards the end of the game when you know Argentina were pushing for the goal. Some of the fans you could tell were getting a bit frustrated, a bit edgy, uh, and it just felt like having those three defenders with Facio and Otamendi expected to do a lot of passing. I just feel that if you can get two or three attackers to press high 
And again, that's much easier said than done when you've got four Argentine attackers to deal with close to your own goal. But it did seem whenever Venezuela got two players to press Fazio or two players to press Otamendi, there was always a good chance they'd win it back. If not directly, then when it broke into the midfield, someone pressing there. So I do think that this is a kind of a risky formation. I understand they want to get all the good attacking talent on the field. And obviously Argentina do seem to always have that balance between do you play with your best players or do you play defenders? <laughs> because there's not many of the best players that seem to be defenders. And again, Romero... <laughs> this is, is not a good Franco. goalie. Yeah, and my Franco Armani Claxon's ready to go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, he's, not, he's not a good goalkeeper, exactly. And I'd say Armani's better. But I do think it's... Argentina look quite vulnerable and I think in some games if they don't get that goal early on which has been the case in the last couple the opposition do seem to kind of grow into the game and kind of feel a bit more confidence and it does look as if you put pressure on Fazio when he receives the ball quickly or Tomendi there do seem to be chances there uh, and with Argentina pressing so high with four forwards up against the four opposition defenders uh, there definitely does seem to be scope for a quick counter I mean uh, what do you think about that as a as a threat on the you know in terms of the Argentine defence, it's definitely a factor. Uh, we all know that you know Argentina's talent in attack is sadly not reflected in the defenders they've got. But I'd say only talking about tonight's game, you could put the the chances Venezuela down to to something different, which was uh, as the game went on, as um, the goals didn't come, the game just completely broke up. And Argentina were the worst culprits of this because they just lost all tactical shape. There was one example in particular where I think it was uh, Facio who took the ball dribbling out and up until about almost the edge of the Venezuela box, lost it. Venezuela came out on the counter rapidly and it was Lautaro Acosta who was basically playing as a, as a right winger who ended up making a hideous tackle on the edge of the box. It's like... You know, you're living in an upside-down world if that's happening. that's It just can't happen at, at the top level of football. I don't think you would even have to be a kind of a tactical expert to see that the goal Venezuela scored tonight was always on the cards with that defensive setup that Argentina have at the moment. Because Fazio there in the middle, he's part of a three, but that three is quite spread out. The camera angle on tonight's game really showed this at times where the gap between the three defenders was so big. So when Venezuela did win it in Argentina's half, that kind of quick break there was, was on straight away. And it, and it, was, a, it was a good pass from, from Cordova to, to make it happen. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Venezuela in a bit. Jesse, you wanted to add something? No, you know, just thinking about what you guys both said, I think that, you know, any time that there's this sort of transitional period, and, you know, I've seen this in Uruguay as well, where you have, you know, your older players or, or your star players are beginning to age out, and you haven't yet figured out where your younger players are fitting in, or your coaches haven't yet, you know, haven't yet given them the, or don't have the confidence yet to put them in, it's, it's, it's really awkward. And, and I think we're seeing that with Tavares. Um, I think that's where Argentina is right now, that they're relying so heavily on Messi and Mache and Di Maria and all of the pressures on their shoulders. But there's nobody, there's no like younger team yet coming up that can, that can slot in. And, and there's nobody coming up the pipeline. Um, or if there is, 
they don't, they're not yet being given those opportunities. And, and that's really difficult with, with these two world cups coming up. Yeah. I I think, uh, I think Dan touched on it earlier a little bit, but you know, aside from the goal tonight, which for me was kind of out of the Sampaoli playbook, they didn't really look like one of his sides. I, I felt, and that, and and that's odd to me because in his last two jobs, the the Chile national team and Sevilla, they looked really great from the off. Really, I, I, th- I think maybe it's going to take a little bit more time, but time is something that this Argentina side obviously don't have at the moment. You know, they really are on the brink. The big difference between uh, San Paolo's Chile team and this Argentina team he's kind of been thrown into at the deep end is. Is the lack of that mobile centre midfielder because it's just it's a position that Argentina just don't have covered. Um, with all the talent they've got elsewhere, this kind of Arturo um, Vidal figure is is just not there. And you really saw that tonight because everything good Argentina did um, was down the flanks with Di Maria and with uh, with Acuna with Acosta and on the other wing. And it's fine, you know, you can. You can pump in 60 crosses a game if you want, but there's just so so little coming in through the middle. And I think that's where you've seen in Brazil, um, Chichim kind of solved that by bringing back Paulinho, who's done a fantastic job. And Chile have had the luxury of having Vidal there for so many years, and he's been absolutely fundamental for their success. You couldn't imagine uh, Chile two-time winners of the Copa America without Vidal. And Argentina need to find a way to kind of have something through the middle without this mythical figure that they're still lacking. And it doesn't look like anyone's coming through either. Adam, quickly on Venezuela, it starts and ends really on this night with Wilker Farinas, who has just absolutely burst onto the scene. Uh, The under-20 World Cup success and then just a pair of matches where he was nothing short of brilliant for Venezuela. Obviously, the counterattacking football tonight was good. I thought the tactical game plan from Dudamel was great. They weathered the storm early. They were in this match late, and they even had a couple chances to come forward and, and steal all three points. Very, very encouraging signs for Venezuela, especially starting between the pipes with Farinas. Yeah, definitely. Um, Farinas, outstanding again uh, tonight, like you say. Um, and, and there's definitely a case for him perhaps being the most kind of underrated and undervalued player in the world right now. Not necessarily by fans who have watched him, but certainly by clubs. The fact that he's still in Venezuelan um, club football is is incredible. Really, can you imagine that level of talent? You know, if if he was from Brazil or Argentina, for example, and he's putting these performances in uh, in the under twenty World Cup and then in proper South American World Cup qualifying as well. You know, you, you're talking about a player going for millions and millions especially if he was perhaps in a more, that level of talent was in a more sexy position as well. And I, and I think you touched on that in, in, in that excellent scouting pod you did know, Austin, about Farinas perhaps going unnoticed simply because he's a goalkeeper. But yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with him over the next year. I can't believe that European clubs will continue to ignore him because he's better than pretty much most young goalkeepers in the world right now. But yeah, I've, I've said this before on pods that there's no way that this current Venezuela side are as bad as the table makes them out to be. They haven't had much luck. 
And since Dudamel's uh, been in charge, you know, they've looked very competent indeed. Their new look back line looked good again tonight, which I was pleased to see. You know, I mentioned on the pod the other day, people were worried that they're going to miss experienced um, central defenders. But the guys they brought in, although they're not um, spring chickens, um, they are in good form. And, and that's something Javier mentioned on, on, on the excellent pod we did the other day as well. I think Dudamel now has a solid base to work with. So that's something to build on, which is great. And, and I think that these two results that they've got in this week um, against Colombia and Argentina, I, th- I, th- I think that shows, you know, why we believe that they're such a great bet to qualify for 2022, you know, especially with uh, Chile on a downward spiral. Oh, another couple of players I'd just like to mention quickly. Uh, Sergio Corda there again, a player again I mentioned the other day as well. But he impressed me again tonight with his hard work and he got an assist as well. It's, it's just been an amazing year for, for Cordova, really. Through what I understand, speaking to the Venezuela experts, it's, it's, you know, they never expected him to have this sort of year. You know, he had an amazing under-20 World Cup. He got this move to the top flight in Germany. Um, and and now he's a sure starter for, for the senior national team as well. And, and, and he just seems a player, although he's not the most talented, I don't think. I don't think he's... He's got a great deal of talent there, but what you can see he has is a is a super attitude. So yeah, he's definitely a player that we see, and also he's he's quite intelligent with his positioning. And I wonder if that's if that's why um, the Bundesliga club which signed him, which is Augsburg, I think it is. Um, I wonder if that's something they they picked up on. But yeah, he's been a real breakthrough player in 2017 as well, and another favourite as well, Yankel Herrera. He picked up an early yellow card in this game. His disciplinary record is something which worries worries a few people. But, you know, he, he got through, I think it was 80 minutes he had to get through without picking another one up. And, and he did that fine. He, he kept his head down. Dan, you mentioned Vidal earlier. Well, I think this Yangel Herrera might be the new Arturo Vidal. But unfortunately, he's Venezuelan, not Chilean or Argentinian. <laughs> Certainly a good night for Herrera and, and really a historic result for Venezuela. Uh, they'd never before picked up a point away to Argentina in a World Cup qualifier. Uh, and they were able to do that. And, and for a minute, it even looked like they might be able to walk away with all three. Uh, but the point is big for Venezuela. The point is also big as we talk about this final match of the night. Uruguay 2-1 winners against Paraguay. Uruguay now into second place in the table on 27 points. That's kind of the magic number we've been talking about all podcast. And Jesse, just a kind of bizarre match. Um, Paraguay had possession. They had the chances. And then in the 76th minute, kind of out of nothing, Uruguay create the first goal with Valverde, who had a very good match, it must be said, getting a very, very fortunate deflection that ended up beating Silva, the Paraguayan goalkeeper. And then a couple minutes after, Luis Suarez getting maybe an even more fortunate <laughs> deflection when he went off the crossbar and then off of a defender for an own goal to make it 2-0. Then obviously, because it's it's Uruguay and nothing can come that easy, uh, Paraguay pulled one back late to the Corinthians man Angel Homero. And then that set up a frantic finish, but Paraguay were not able to find that second goal. So 2-1 to Uruguay. They're on that magic 27 points and a good window for them. An important point at home against Argentina and then really against the run of play and kind of against conventional wisdom, at least as far as this individual match was concerned. A 2-1 win for Uruguay. 
And they might not be Russia bound yet, but they're pretty darn close. Yeah. So I will say for Adam, who didn't uh, watch all of this match, um, I thought we played a lot better uh, than we did at home against Argentina, which is par for the course because we don't do anything conventionally. Um, I loved seeing Valverde at 19 years old because, you know, didn't all of us at 19 play in a World Cup qualifier? But I like a lot seeing Tavares include um, Nandes and Valverde in this squad. And I love seeing the confidence with which he played. Um, and I think that obviously scoring <laughs> a World Cup uh, qualifying goal on your debut at 19 years old um, is great confidence uh, boost. So I think that's that was great. I think that Musleta saved us 19 times. Um, Paraguay had the majority of the chances and in the second half, really the majority of the control. We cannot let this happen again. I think, you know, we spoke about this in the last podcast that as much as I just love and admire Godin as a player um, and as a defender, I wish that he would galvanize this team more when we start to slip and when opposing teams start to find holes because we, you know, under Lugano, we're able to get that back a little bit quicker um, because Lugano was, was great at being verbal on the pitch and, and getting everybody back together. And you don't see Godin doing that. Um, and there is no one on the field right now who, who does that for us. So when Paraguay took control of the game early on in the second half, we went to bits um, and it was really all on Musleta to just keep saving shots and all on me to stop cursing in Spanish at the screen. So um, I'm just, I'm sorry, Brooklyn, to whoever heard that. But I think that, you know, the more um, Cáceres starts playing again, that, you know, the, the, just this, it's really nice to see this team come back together. Um, and I have to say this, that the more, we play without losing our heads. You know, the more we play without just getting into really stupid fights, without <laughs> reacting, um, the calmer I feel. I think that Valverde's goal, yes, was was terrific. Um, Suarez's goal, I started screaming, <laughs> "What are you doing?" I don't. I did not understand why he wasn't passing. I didn't understand why he wasn't shooting. And then I understood because he scored and he Suarez and he could do things like that. And then, of course, Austin, like you said, um, what is being an Uruguay fan if it's not just biting your fingers off and suffering because, you know, four minutes to go and Paraguay scored, which they deserved, you know, that um, our left side has always been a weakness. Um, Coates was not filling it. Um, I think you know, it's asking a lot of Jimenez to sort of be all over the place back there. And that's something that we're going to have to figure out going forward. Um, but that was, a, that was, I don't even, nail biting is not even the word. I mean, I think I was like, you know, not breathing. Um, and we made it. I don't know if we would have made it had that goal come seven minutes earlier. But um, And it must be said, they, they almost didn't make it. Paraguay had that chance in stoppage time where, to his oh, credit, yeah. Godin got back and got in front of it and was able to block it away. I don't know how Uruguay ended up that open at that portion of the match, <laughs> but they did. And Paraguay weren't able to take it because Godin made a great bit of last-ditch defending. And that salvaged and all three points. And that's from also. I mean, I think that this was a lot of luck. Yeah. You know, this is as much skill as this was luck. Um, but a fortunate result, I think it's, it's fair to say, at least in, in some part. 
But yeah. with Bolivia at home still on the fixture list for Uruguay, again, as we've said, really the only sure thing left in Conmebol is Bolivia at home. <laughs> um, and, and an away trip to Venezuela that, as we've seen, can be trickier than, than maybe it looks on paper, especially given the fact that they've only managed to pick up eight points in this qualifier. They're on 27 already, and it's it's hard to see them not winning at least one of those matches and probably both, especially with Bolivia still to come at home. It would take a massive, massive collapse for Uruguay to miss the World Cup at this point. Oh, Austin, do not make me say this. I mean, look, Suarez is still recovering. We do not have a deep bench. We are prone to injury and losing our heads. However, these were two very important points. Um, I do think, you know, we a couple of us talked about this before, that when I spoke to a friend of mine who's Venezuelan, he did say that Venezuela, you know, is obviously playing for more than what the rest of us are playing for. You know, they're really playing for their country, which is in dire straits right now, and you can't discount that. But um, I, I don't know if I can discount anything. Austin, I don't know, man. Simon. I, this is really hard. Simon, help me out on this one. Uruguay is going to the World Cup, yes? Simon! Uh, yeah, I think so. Looks like they should do. I mean, it's it's hard to envision them not beating Bolivia at home. Correct? Yeah, well, yeah. Even, even, if, in the past. even if even if Uruguay don't win in Venezuela, there's no way that they're blowing Bolivia at home on, on the last match day. So, yeah, I think I read somewhere tonight that I've got like 90% chance of, of okay, making it direct like to Russia or something. I, goal so, differential is a great thing right now, so I will count yeah. That's the other thing as well. Yeah, they've got by far the best goal difference out of out of the out of the team. So, yeah, I, I think I think Uruguay are there. Um, I have to say that I was really pleased to see Valverde score tonight because I, I think one of the great frustrations with with this Uruguay team over the last sort of couple of years or so is that Tavares hasn't renovated the squad enough. Um, I know that's a criticism that he's that he's received from many Uruguayans and 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 also people like myself as well, who believe that this Uruguay team can be so much more than what they currently are. I still get frustrated watching them because I feel that the level of talent that they have in their team, they can play so much more expressively and and better than than what they do. Um, so so I still find them quite frustrating to watch and and it is always amu- very amusing to me when two sides like this tonight come together and both of them have no interest whatsoever in dominating possession <laughs> we so just really like it, sharing it, yeah so it seemed like you know Paraguay tried to take control but that's something that they're very uncomfortable doing and um and it kind of played in played into Uruguay's hands in the end but yeah, from a Chile perspective, I'm actually pretty pleased that Uruguay won tonight because I think that does Chile uh, a, a favour for now. Austin, uh, will you do me a big favour? Will you um, cut that that piece where Adam said, I'm pleased that Uruguay won and send it to me because I will make that my ringtone. Sure, sure. I'll also Thank make you. sure that I leave off the clause from a Chile perspective at the end. Yeah, no, no, no. I just want yeah. that part that said, yeah, great. Just the right spot. Thanks so much. Simon. Awesome. For Potawai, this is probably the end of the run for them. They're on 21 points. That's three back of Argentina. They also have a goal differential of minus six. So in effect, they're probably about four points back. They go away to Colombia, and then they host Venezuela. 
might be able to get three against Venezuela, but they need a result in Barranquilla to be able to qualify, it looks like at this point. A decent campaign for Paraguay, a good result against Chile that gave them hope. But at this point, it's kind of hard to see them making the trip. Yeah, I mean, I think um, they've been competitive for most of the games uh, in this qualifying round. Um, you know, they've had a decent campaign. They've uh, been in the mix. Not one of the strongest squads, but they've definitely performed well at times, particularly in last week's game. Um, I think it's the kind of game that Colombia won't fear. There are certain teams. Venezuela is always a challenging one for Colombia. Someone like Ecuador can, can pose a threat. Um, but I think... Colombia should approach the Paraguayan game knowing what they're facing, a team that's pretty well organized that might pull a goal out from here and there. Um, and I think Colombia are well suited to kind of uh, apply the pressure, stay on top, get that goal, and then hopefully, hopefully finish off fairly comfortably. So I think Colombia will end Paraguay's hopes in the next round. Maybe that's a bit of hope talking as well, but I just think Colombia are well suited to face Paraguay and what Paraguay the kind of threat Paraguay pose so I think while they're going to the final game with a good chance of getting the win I think their hopes might be over by the time the Columbia game has come and gone and let's let's hope that's the case we'll see what happens well that'll just about do it for this edition of the South American football show obviously we covered plenty we will be back in October with World Cup qualifiers the final two rounds from Conmebol where we'll settle the other three teams that will for sure join Brazil and Russia and we'll determine who it is that will face New Zealand in that uh, Conmebol Oceana playoff. But before we wrap up tonight's show, we'll go around the table. Everyone will tell you where they, where you can find them on social media, as well as plug anything that they'd like to plug. Dan, we'll start with you. It was great to have you again on the show. We very much appreciate the Argentine perspective. Um, where can the listeners find you on social media, and is there anything at the moment that you'd like to plug? You can find me on social media at Dan Edwards Go. That's on Twitter. Uh, I might as well put in a plug for this month's Blizzard magazine where I did quite a loving piece on a non-Argentine subject, which is strange for me, the Montevideo's Estadio Centenario, one of my favorite It was stadiums. wonderful. I loved so, it. Ah, we got a double plug then. Oh, I love <laughs> uh, and Simon, for you? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, Colombian season's in full swing so I'll be doing some stuff on that and I'm doing my A to Z of Colombian football and I'm going to do the B's very very soon been crazy busy but I'm looking forward to I've got my list ready so there's a lot of interesting B's in there so I'm going to get onto the B's uh, by the end of this weekend they'll be ready looking forward to what you have to say about uh, Palmeiras' current starlet Miguel Borja I hope that he includes in the B. And there you have it. If you were playing, will Austin get a Palmatis mention on this podcast? You got it right this week. Congratulations to you. Adam Brandon, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Yeah, they can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Um, maybe I should have never have changed my, yeah, my handle from Scores. I'm, I'm wondering. <laughs> I've, I've just made the connection. Maybe, you know, I've, I, I somehow put some kind of jig. You're going to get so many angry Chileans now, Adam, writing yeah, to well, you. They used to, be they used to be angry at me for having a Argentina. Yeah, uh, but if you jinx so. them, it's your fault, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to review this situation. But <laughs> Nietzsche Scores handle has been taken by some random now. So, yeah. Going to have to break sure out the wallet to get that. it back. 
<laughs> looks that way. How much is Chile qualifying to the World Cup worth to you? Because I think that's oh. what the question is at this point. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, did, I did make quite a few quid last time they were in the World Cup, actually, through writing for various places. So, yeah, may, maybe I'm going to have to consider it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely follow the new Canigia scores. Uh, profile, <laughs> total alcohol fanatic, subtly charming zombie enthusiast, infuriatingly <laughs> humble coffee buff. <laughs> sounds that much sounds like fun. Adam. <laughs> new, new and improved Canigia scores. Uh, I can't match that, I don't think. And oh, hey, Adam, for... you look beautiful here. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesse, for you, where can the listeners find you on social media? And is there anything that you'd like to plug? They can find me at Jesse Loesch. Um, and oh, and I will ask all of you guys if I could talk to you because I have an article coming out on unusual efforts about parents passing down football teams or not to their children. Ah, that should be good. Yeah. That'll, be, that'll be an interesting read. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906 with the World Cup window, World Cup qualifier window finally done. Hopefully there'll be a chance for Tom and I to record a couple spotlight podcasts in the coming weeks. Um, I know that we have Adam tentatively somewhere on the schedule to go over a couple Chilean players as well as a couple of other South American players featuring in the Chilean league. Uh, And I know Tom and I have a couple players on our list. So be on the lookout for those. Those will surely be there. Copa Libertadores is back before you know it. Uh, those pods will resume next week with the first legs of the qualifiers. So there'll be plenty of South American content, content coming your way on the World Football Index. But that'll do it for this show. As I said, we'll be back again next month to recap the 17th and the penultimate round of Conable World Cup qualifiers before everything finally finishes up with the 18th round in the middle of October. So be on the lookout for those. But for now, all that's left to say is thanks for listening and goodbye.